Today we are in Luke chapter 5. And before we dive in, I really just want to ask this question. I want to ask, how are we to handle this moment right here? Seriously. What are we supposed to be doing right now? And I'm not asking about what rules are we supposed to be obeying. I'm asking, why are we here? Why do we gather and sing? Why do we hear someone pray over us and share with us how the body is getting together and how we're seeking to get to know those in our community? Why do we have the preached word before us right now? Why are we doing what we're doing? And I just want you to know, we're doing it because God summarizes the sin of the people of Israel with this phrase, and they forgot me. Why are we, why are we here? Because we're forgetful. Why are we here? Because we need God to come in this moment and to get our minds and our hearts in line with him. That's why we do this. I know every single one of you have been massively distracted in this week with your jobs, with things going on in life, with financial issues, with family. And we come in here in this moment and we just make this our prayer. Oh God, get our minds engaged with you. Get us there. And make our hearts love you. Why do we gather right now? Because we need a vision. We need to see with God's eyes. We need to see as He sees. We need to have His wisdom. We need Him to fill our lives. We need His peace to wash over us. We need to see Him as more beautiful than anything else. That's why we gather. And then as we see Him, we will be stirred to love like Him. But friends, your primary aim in being here is not to get a list of to-dos. It is to convene with and worship and enjoy the living God of the universe who has spoken to us in His Word. And so I just want us to stop for a second. Just want us to stop and in our own hearts just ask God to meet with us. I just want you to share your heart with God right now. The only thing that stands in the way right now would be the pride of saying, I don't have anything to learn, or I've got it figured out. Or as Jesus said, sometimes it's the cares of the world that choke out our faith. Give them all to Him. But in the quietness of this moment, let's just take some still time, and let's ask God to move in here, and ask God to move in our body that we might see as he sees and love as he loves. But let's pray and then I'll close us with a prayer.
Father, come. Come and wash us clean. Oh God, please protect us from taking things that might be good, but that we have made of ultimate importance. Protect us from putting those before you, oh God. Take your word and drive it deep, not just in our brains, for that you aren't someone just to know in our heads, but someone to know with our hearts. God, may worship abound in our souls. May we adore you and love you. Would you come in power now by your Holy Spirit and change us from the inside out? Father, we need you. We need to see you. We need to taste and see that you are good. We need to see your kingdom. Oh, Father, move in our midst. May the proud be humbled and may the humble be exalted and may you get glory, oh God. Comfort us in these moments that we may leave here more like you. Oh, Father, please make us worshipers in this moment. We pray this. So you get glory and we get joy in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Luke 5 together. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 27 through 32. And God is now speaking to us through a story about his son. Luke 5.27 reads this way, And after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is unexpected. We have been going through the book of Luke. For those of you who are new with us, we are preaching through the entire book of Luke. And so why do we land here in Luke 5? It's the next passage as we've been going through the book. So last week, we began to see that Jesus specializes in doing the unexpected. He specializes in doing the unexpected. He was with the leper who you should be away from. When he engaged the paralytic... He forgave sins. That's not something people are supposed to be able to do. Yeah, it's fine for me to forgive you when you sin against me, but if you've sinned against somebody else, how do I insert myself in there? Unless you're God. And Jesus did the unexpected by forgiving people of sins. And now today, you see him getting near to a social outcast. Unexpected things are good. I don't know about you, but when I go to watch a movie, the best movies are the ones that I don't know the outcome, I'm kind of in suspense the whole time, and then boom, the unexpected happens, and I'm like, 
Yes, if I like the unexpected, I'm like, good movie. Books the same way. Sporting events the same way. Unless it's your team that ends up on the wrong end of the unexpected. Sorry, Duke fans, but it's okay. The unexpected. I remember this. I was traveling to Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, to go to a conference and to visit with some other churches that are part of the TCT network that we are a part of, the Treasuring Christ Together Church Planting Network. One church up there is the church's Jubilee, and the lead pastor there is John Erickson. Well, every time I go up there, I stay with the Erickson family, and they have six kids, and one of their kids plays basketball. So I went and watched a basketball game with them. And as we went and watched a basketball game, uh, his son is actually really good, the second leading scorer in the entire state of Minnesota. And so we went and watched. It's a small private school, and we went and watched the game, and this other team had this guy who was 6'9", and literally, no exaggeration, within this one high school game, he dunked the ball 15 times. It was insane. A lot of fun to watch, except then you realized after he threw it down that he was on the wrong team. You didn't want him to win. So our team, the team I was cheering for, didn't quite pull that one out. They were the small team, and this was this big private school that got all the the good players, so to speak. Well, three days later, I get this email from my friend. He sends me this email, and it has a video clip from the local newspaper. Most newspapers, I know they're a paper, but they also have an online option, right? So it had this video clip, and I read it, and this team, Hope Academy, was playing the number one ranked team in the entire state of Minnesota, Cleveland. After halftime, they were down by 22 points, and it looked like a repeat of the week before. And all of a sudden... My friend's son began to play pretty well, scored over 31 points, and they caught back up, and with just about a second and a half left, they had the ball. It was a tie game. They threw the ball to my friend's son, and he heaved it up at half court, and it went in, and they won the game and beat the number one team in the nation. You can look it up, Hope Academy in Minnesota. It was a lot of fun to watch. Why was that so fun? Well, not, not only did my team win, but the unexpected happened. Even people who didn't care about those two teams, they see it and it's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. What we have right here with Jesus is the unexpected. And he specializes in the unexpected. When the person is supposed to be physically outcast, the leper, he draws near. When sins are not supposed to be able to be forgiven except by God alone, and he shows up on the scene and he forgives sins, he does the unexpected. And now, when we look at this passage, he draws near to a social outcast. One who is, if there's a sinner, and you look it up in the dictionary, it would be this person's face because of his employment. And so what we want to see as we look at this passage, we want to see how Jesus does the unexpected. I think we see it in four ways. Let me show it to you, and then we'll walk through each one point by point. Number one, what we see that is unexpected is that no one is off limits. No one is off limits. Jesus goes to anyone. Number two, not only does Jesus go to anyone, but the requirement that he requires 
is unexpected. It's absolute surrender. And so Jesus not only goes to anyone, but He asks everything. He asks for everything. Nothing's off the table. And then not only is that unexpected, but His pursuit is unexpected. Who does He pursue? And to see how He pursues is unexpected. He comes all the way. He doesn't just come a portion of the way and say, I hope, hope you do well and can get to me. He goes all the way. It's unexpected. And then finally, as we look at this passage in light of the entire book of Luke, and literally in, t- in light of the Bible itself, we see this is unexpected, that he uses sinners to reach other sinners, and we therefore are to live sent. But as we go sent, Jesus will go with us wherever we go. Jesus goes to anyone. He asks everything. He comes all the way, and he will go with you wherever you go. Let's dive in. Verse 27, and it says this, After Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, in the first service we have a member of our church named Levi Linville, and he was just really excited his name was the, he was the star of the show, so to speak. So um, there was a lot of shouting out in the first service. I, f- I want you to feel free to do the same, even if your name's not Levi. So after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Now, Jesus reaches out to the unexpected. Who is this tax collector? You should think in light of a toll collector. One who, here's the way it would roll. This tax collector, toll collector, would make a deal with the Roman government. They were representative of the Roman government. And they would bid out how much should be charged. And whoever won the bid to sit at this tax booth, you would then pay it out. So let's just say, round figures, it's 100 bucks. okay? It costs you 100 bucks. That's how much the government now expects to be paid. So you actually pay that out ahead of time, and then you go and you sit in your tax booth. So what's that mean? Anything over 100 bucks now is profit to your pocket. But the government doesn't care what you do. They got paid on the front end. So you can imagine this employment was filled with massive abuse. No regulations at all. It was a toll. Anybody who passed through this area, you'd have to pay a tax. It was almost like customs. Now, there were some other types of tax collectors where you would kind of go out and there were other types of taxes, but this was what we see Matthew or Levi doing. When you read the book of Matthew, we realize that Levi's name is also Matthew. I don't know if it's Matthew Levi, Levi Matthew. I don't know how it all rolled, but same guy. So sitting at a tax collecting booth, He finds himself as a tax collector. And this was a despised profession because of all the abuse that could be possible. But listen, this position was so notorious for deceit that they were not able to testify in a court of law. I mean, like, no jury duty for you because your whole profession can't be trusted. That's pretty rotten. I mean, everybody knows it. You're not fair game to be trusted in a court of law just by what you do. So most people were against these tax collectors. They were outcasts. 
but where the paralytic was an outcast because they were physically lame, where the leper was an outcast because of the disease, this person's an outcast because of their choosing to be deceitful. And it's really interesting. Jesus' response is to reach out to the outcast. Now, in our culture today, I think there are some good things that are happening. It has become more socially acceptable not to exclude people who are different. It has become a push that says, if someone is different than you, then they should not be bullied or oppressed They should not be put aside. There should be a sense of acceptance. Now, how all this acceptance looks, not commending it all, but the general sentiment that people should not be excluded from love. Now, I know we got to define love. But the general sentiment of people not being excluded from love because of being different is a good thing. However, I find it ironic that many in our culture who advocate for the full inclusion of everyone and they promote the hatred of bullying, they also, some, think that it is right to then terminate a baby in a womb. Now, it's interesting. If I've ever heard of bullying, that has to be it. When you look at a little baby and say, because X baby has Down syndrome, I'm going to get rid of this child, it is saying, I don't want someone who doesn't look like me or act like me. It's a walking contradiction. And I bring it up because what Jesus is doing right here supersedes political party and supersedes political segmentation. What Jesus does is he comes to the physically outcast. He draws near to the socially outcast. He saves the spiritually outcast. And we ask that God would give us Jesus' eyes for people. My fear And I've talked to many, and I've looked at many Facebook posts. My fear is that we have become more party-aligned than we have seeing things with the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus says, my nature is different. You can't pigeonhole me into a party. Jesus says here, and this is why it's included in the Scriptures, I want your vision shaped by Jesus. I want your vision shaped. Who you love, how you love, what you look at, who you draw near to. Our vision must be shaped. We see His purposes. We see His actions. We see His compassion. We see His justice. We see His love. And all of that is so that as we see this text and we see Jesus leap off the page, we begin to love what He loves and hate what He hates. 
we will begin to draw near to those that he draws near to. Even if it's not politically correct or socially acceptable. You want unexpected? Be a follower of Jesus. You will experience the unexpected all the time. Jesus loves to keep you on your toes. It keeps you praying. So, he came to the unexpected. The tax collector. The one who should be estranged. And then, here's what else is unexpected. Through one conversation... Now, the Gospels do this all the time. They don't give us a verbatim of what all happened between Jesus and the tax collector. We don't get all the words. Here's what we get, the summary. Follow me. And Jesus' message and character and nature are so compelling and attractive that when he says, follow me, a man who hears that, sees that, is in a relationship with Jesus in that moment says what? Verse 28, and he leaves everything and he rises up to follow Jesus. Remarkable. The compelling nature of Jesus. And what you see here is nobody's off limits. If he can save this person, is how that culture would think he can save anybody. Now, what we also have happening in this passage is a contrast. A contrast between the Pharisees and Jesus, and a contrast between the Pharisees and sinners. Okay? The first contrast is seen as you look in verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast. So, Levi leaves everything, follows Jesus, and he makes a feast. Now, this is biblically... This is a theme in the Bible that when you see the rescuing work of God, you begin to eat with other people. It's a really interesting theme to follow, but it is because God gives us physical pictures to communicate spiritual realities. When you have been rescued by the Lord and you have a plate of food before you, it is a communication that now my ultimate feast is my God. The ultimate delight of the soul is the one who's rescued me. And I want to do that in community together. And I want others to see this God that has provided for me. That's why meals are so good, just to make and deepen relationships. Eat with people. It's a good thing. That's what happened. He's eating, and now, guess who the guests are? Tax collectors and Others, <laughs> they get the beautiful title of others, and they're reclining at table after having downed a meal. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes, they began to grumble. They didn't like what they saw, and they said this, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And now Jesus answers them and says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, what? Okay, finish the sentence. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have need of a physician or a doctor, right? Okay, and then he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but 
I have come to sinners, to call sinners to repentance. That's what he's done. And now you see a contrast between the Pharisees and Jesus. Pharisees are known for separation. Get away from sinners. Jesus is seen as one who draws near. But now you also see another contrast between Pharisees and sinners by these last two verses. Jesus says, so who's asking the questions? Say it. Who's asking the questions? Nope. Who's asking the questions? Pharisees and scribes. Okay. Who's answering the question? Okay, good. Just making sure we're all together. (laughs) Okay. Verse 31 So Jesus answers the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. Who do you think the well people are? The Pharisees. That's exactly right. So you've got Pharisees over here, and you've got sinners over here. And you've got well Pharisees, and then he says, but those who are sick need a physician. So you've got six sinners. Well Pharisees, six sinners. Okay, then he goes, I have not come to call the righteous. So now you've got, who are the righteous? Pharisees. You've got Pharisees, well, righteous, and you've got unrighteous, sick sinners. But I've called sinners to repentance. Now, what's he doing? He's putting a contrast here between these two groups. Now, I want to show you something on the board, if I may. This past week, we were um, in elders meeting, and this is Pastor Byron, who we spent about an hour and a half studying the Scriptures together. And as we were studying together, we each just kind of free-for-all were sharing some insights that we had. And Pastor Byron, while some people were talking, he goes up on the board and he starts drawing. I love it when people go to the board and start drawing. And so he started drawing and he wrote out this, this wonderful map thing or this mountain thing here. And this is Pastor Byron teaching us. And I wanted to take a second just to say how thankful I am and how you need to be thankful for these dear men. They are precious gifts to me. They are my pastors. I learned from them. Pastor Travis preached the past two weeks, and my life was changed because of that. It was so helpful. And then the privilege to sit on that couch in that room right over there and to see Pastor Byron tear up over the Scriptures and to see him get excited over something he had learned from the Scriptures, it was a gift. And it's an opportunity that every one of us have to do with one another, to be excited over the Scriptures and to share what we have learned together. Parenthesis closed. Now, Pastor Byron was sharing with us, and here's what he shared with us. You see the numbers at the very top. This is Luke chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through Luke chapter 6, verse 16. And what you begin to see is a pattern develop in the book of Luke. You see him call Peter and his disciple uh, Peter and the fisherman when he was fishing. And then you see the healing narratives that Pastor Travis preached for the past couple of weeks. And now we find ourselves in today's passage and then next week we'll deal with an interaction with the Pharisees over the Sabbath and then he finally calls the rest of his followers. 
you see a call, a call, a call, and what is with us right now is the apex of the point, which is the significant contrast between those who appeared to be righteous in their own eyes and those who were really made righteous by the grace of Jesus. That's where we find ourselves. Who are these Pharisees? Their grumbling comes to an apex in our passage right here, in the call of Levi, because the contrast couldn't be clearer. Their role, separate. Jesus, draw near. Pharisees, they were those who were righteous in their own eyes. Levi was a sinner in his own eyes and therefore received salvation. This is the apex of the contrast. And we know that we're on the right track with when it says righteous, those who think they are righteous because Luke goes on to talk about the Pharisees in Luke 16, verse 15. And here's the verse. He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves. Luke 16, 15. It says, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourself. That word justify is make righteous yourself before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. There is an ability to do the right things. The Pharisees did the law. They were doing right things, but leaning on their own efforts as a means of their being right before God. You have a sinner over here who wasn't doing right things, but leaned wholly on Jesus to make him right before God. And Jesus says, that's the one I've come for. Not the one who is well in his own eyes, but the one who is sick in his own eyes. The one who is needy in his own eyes. That's the one I come to. And so this contrast plays out and we begin to realize he goes to anyone. He goes to anyone. As I was listening to Pastor Travis's sermon two weeks ago, he was sharing about Peter fishing all night long and catching squat. Then him taking Peter and saying, would you just go back out one more time? At a time when fish were not going to be caught, would you go back out and cast your nets down? And Peter, very skeptical but obedient, says, yes, I will do it. Throws the net down and fish are filling it to overflowing and the nets are about to break. And here's what God did in my heart through that. There are people that I'm in relationship with. People that I'm in relationship with that I'm tempted to say, I've been pursuing over and over. I've been fishing all night long. I've been praying for this marriage to be reconciled. I've been asking for this relationship to be healed. I've been asking that God would save this individual and that their heart would melt. I've been toiling. And that passage struck me that Jesus can make fish appear whenever and in the most unlikely of times. 
That's what he specializes in doing. And for those of you who are weary and you feel like you've been pursuing and pursuing and nothing has changed, you're actually in the ripe spot for God to work because he does the unexpected. And when I write people off and say, no, he's just not going to do it there, you hear this point and you say, no one is off limits, not at any time. And he can make fish appear where there were not fish before. And so I want to stop a second. Has a name popped into your mind as I was talking? Has a relationship popped into your mind while I was talking? I want you to see that as something from the Lord, the Spirit of God stirring in your heart, and you need to test and see if you need to engage that person again with a sense of faith that it might not happen right away, but it can. And because it can, you will engage. Friends, I sit and listen to sermons just like you do. And I know what it's like to leave this place and to have your tummy growling and to try to figure out how, where you're going to eat or what you're going to eat. I've got four kids. I know what it's like to try to rally them. I know what it's like for me to be disobedient. I know what it's like for them to be disobedient. I know what it's like for my mind to be scattered. I know what it's like for my marriage to be up and down. Sometimes we're cloud nine. Other times we don't like each other. I know what all of that's like. And you forget everything that's said right now, right here in this moment. The only thing that helps me is when the Spirit of God puts a name in my mind, when he stirs something in my heart and I've said, yep, I've written that person off, I write it down. I pray it in my heart and ask God to teach me right now in this moment. Because, friends, I forget. So what's he pressing in on you right now in this moment? Or by the end of this, listen with spiritual ears. Be sensitive because no one's off limits. Our God is always at work. But not only is He not off, are things not off limits, but Jesus asks for everything from those people. When He engages people, number two is He asks for full surrender. He asks for everything. Look at verse 32. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then what are the last two words? Two, okay, let's just do it together just so we kind of all together. Okay, um, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The aim of Jesus coming to Levi was the repentant heart was the heart that was going this way and it to be shifted and turned fully to God. This is what he was after. Sinners acknowledging that they are broken and that they are sinful. They are estranged from God. Not only do sinners do bad things, but they are in and of their nature bad and they must be changed from the inside out. There's nothing on the outside end that can do it. It's God that's got to come and enter in right here. And until you say that, you're not a Christian. 
This is exactly what we see from Levi. A sinner called to repentance. Called to follow. And friends, Levi responded. But Levi was asked for everything. You notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, and Levi should attend the synagogue on Saturday. That's all I'm asking from you. That's not what he said. He's not saying, Levi, I want your job, but your private life, that's yours. I'm serious about this. Don't let this be something you already know. Let it sink in. Is there any area that genuinely you have siphoned off as off-limits to God? Your entertainment? Your marriage? What you watch? Your food? Your possessions? Your job? Your friendships? Your exercise? Is there anything that you would not want Jesus to show up on? (laughs) Oh, friends, he asks everything because that is where the greatest joy is found. He is not asking everything as a dominating dictator. He's asking everything as a father who knows what's best. Everything. Let it sink in. Everything. Jesus' role was to come to Levi. And where does he come? He comes to his workplace. And he speaks to him a message that maybe he didn't want to hear, but a message he needed to hear. Now, I'm going to give a quote from a man, a Dallas Cowboy football coach. I lament it very deeply, but they had a good football coach at one point, Um, Tom Landry, and uh, I don't know anything about Jason Garrett, who's their coach now, and it's not my point. Tom Landry says this. He says, a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you see what you don't want to see, so that you can be who you've always known you could be. What was this moment? This moment was Jesus coming in, and telling Matthew in part something he did not want to hear. We don't get the dialogue, but we get the punchline. The punchline is Matthew had to say, I'm a sinner. (laughs) Right? That's how he left everything. Jesus' message is, are you a sinner? And are you willing to own that? Matthew says, yes. He had to tell him something he didn't want to hear, and he had to help him see something that he didn't want to see. 
in order that he could tell him the greatest message that you are valuable and I will make you into someone you need to be, but in order to do that, you must be willing to listen to what I tell you and see what I'm telling you I see. This is our Savior. And it's not just for those who are getting in the door of Christianity. This is for all of us who call ourselves Christians. It's one thing to confess your sin at that, at that moment when God comes in and rescues you, but the Christian life is one that is characterized by saying, I'm a sinner in need. I don't see everything like I should see it. I don't understand everything like I should understand it. Let's be really clear. When Jesus has come into the heart, He has made us a new creation. We are no longer categorized as wretched sinners, but children in the hands of a loving Father. He has made us new, and He's defeated sin, Satan, and death. We want to highlight that victory, but we have to not forget from where we came from. We can't just be oblivious as if we don't still sin, as if there aren't still things that we need Him to overcome within us. We have to hone in on the victory, but be honest about where we have sinned. Some of you, you are constantly defensive. And when someone says that you have done wrong, you are categorized by being quick to snap at them and tell them why they're wrong or to blame shift or to just well up in anger. I want to set you free. I want to set you free. Because you are not identified by your performance any longer, but by the performance of another. Jesus Christ came, and He saves, and He calls you then to leave everything that you might follow Him. And when you don't follow Him perfectly, you lean upon Him. You don't have to defend yourself anymore. Now, the third one. Is pursuit. Jesus comes all the way. Jesus comes all the way. This one is remarkable to me. Look at verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. You know what you don't see in this passage? Levi's not going looking around for Jesus. What you see in this passage is Jesus going to Levi. And he doesn't go just part of the way. He goes all the way. He pursues him. How does the whole story begin? Jesus initiates contact with a sinner. Jesus pursues the unlovely and the unwanted. The ones that our hearts would write off, that's the very ones that Jesus goes after. And if we've got eyes to see us, see it, that's us. The sin sick. You get the illustration that he uses right here. Sickness and physician, right? You get that image? Okay, if you have the flu, I might bring you a meal, but I will stand at the door with that meal. And if you come to the door, I will say, here's your meal. Please know I'm praying for you. Is there anything else we can do for you? And you say, why don't you come on in the house? No, thanks. I'm standing right here. But I'll pray for you. Anything else we can do? Now, why would I have that type of posture? Because I'm afraid of what? 
getting sick. That's not how Jesus responded. Jesus didn't say, I'll come this far, but you've got to come the rest of the way. Jesus went to someone who was sick of the soul. He went to someone who was a leper, physically sick, and he went all the way to them. He's a doctor who makes house calls. He doesn't say, if you can get a ride to the doctor's office, then I'll deal with you. He goes all the way. He is known for his pursuit. And we are that sin-sick people. And friends, I'll just put a note in here. If the gospel is going to go, yes, even to the ends of the earth, where Jesus is not named, people are not only going to have to go to the spiritually sick, but they're going to have to engage people where they're physically sick. And that happens here as well. The beautiful thing is Jesus goes to sinners. He doesn't leave Matthew where he is. He pursues him. He pursues him. Twelve years ago, I was flying to Minneapolis, Minnesota on a plane, and I sat next to this man. Now, the flight from here to Minnesota is about a two, two-and-a-half-hour flight. So, you're sitting with a guy. Unless you're sleeping the whole time, you kind of get to know each other. I intentionally sought to get to know his story. and just found out all about his life and what he did and his family. We shared pictures and those kind of things. And I quickly began to realize as I talked to him more, I asked him about his religious background and he began to say, this is kind of how I grew up, but I, I don't have a relationship with God, he would say, and, and, and I, you know, I just, he admitted that he wasn't a follower of Jesus. So for the next little bit, I began to share the good news of Christ with him. Just share my own story of how God delivered me from legalism and how he can set anyone free through repentance and faith and calling out to him to change you and I told him that was my story, and I wanted it for him. And I told him that God would set him free. And I just asked him if he wanted to follow Jesus, if he had a Bible, if he wanted. He said he needed some more time to think about it, but he, I asked him, I was like, if you trust me with it, if you give me your address, I'll send you a Bible um, when I get home, because I didn't have one to give him at the time. And so he said, okay, I'll give it to you. So must have said something that seemed decently trustworthy. So he gave me his address, got home. I wrote him a letter, just spelling out even more some of the aspects of our conversation and how to trust in Jesus and where to read in the Bible. And I folded it up, put it in the Bible, and sent it off to him. And I didn't hear from him again for 10 years. And then I was at my house. I lived off of Bloodworth Street just a few blocks from here at the time. And I was personally discouraged. Discouraged with some of the things that were happening in the church and not seeing a lot of people coming to faith in Jesus. And I go to the mailbox and I pull out a letter. And in the mailbox is a photocopy of a letter. It was my handwriting on the letter. And he had written another letter attached to it. And he said, Are you by chance the Sean who used to travel 
from Raleigh, North Carolina to Minnesota. He says, I hope you are, because I want you to know I received the Bible, and I started reading it. I read where you asked me to read, and he said, and God changed me. He said, and I trusted in Jesus. And he said, my wife didn't know Jesus, and so I began to talk to her. She trusted in Christ. And now we have kids, and we're raising these kids to follow Jesus with all their heart. And I thank you for sharing this letter and giving me God's word. What a gift that God would use sinners to reach other sinners. And that I would be a small means of him coming to that guy. Jesus met that man in an airplane because that was Jesus' plan. But his plan was to do it through his people. And oh friends, do you know that Savior? Do you know that God who is a pursuing God? who will not let us go. Listen to how John talks about him in John 4, 23. It says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Is that your view of God? He is seeking after you. And what's He seeking? He's not seeking for you first to be a rule follower. He's seeking you first to be a worshiper because worshipers follow the rules of the one they worship. He's seeking. He's coming all the way. Also says in 1 Peter 5, 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. C.J. Mahaney says that humility is like a magnet to God's grace and love. He opposes the proud, but when He sees humility... He's drawn to it. It pulls him in. Oh, that we would be characterized as a worshiping and humble people. God draws near. He's attracted. He is a pursuer. Both of unbelievers and especially of His children. He's pursuing you and He will not let you go. Don't let go of Him. Don't let go of Him. Because, friends, as I just shared, Jesus, He will use you. He will use you. And so, therefore, this last point is one of inference. Inference from the whole of the Scriptures that we should be living as sent ones. We should be living as those who go to the sin-sick Because someone came to us. Jesus ultimately gripped us. And what good news we have to give away. And the promise is Jesus will go with you wherever you go. I want you just to listen to how Jesus talks. Luke 4.18. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Why did Jesus come? To proclaim good news to the poor. 
Number two, he says in Luke 4.43 that I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. You following me? Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. He came to preach to other towns as well. Number three, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. John 10.10. 10. Jesus says in Luke 24, I have come that you might have peace. And then hear this verse, John 20, 21. Listen to this. Peace be with you, he says to his followers. As the Father has sent me, proclaim good news to the poor, go to multiple cities to proclaim good news, to preach the gospel, to give life so that they might have life to the full, so that people might have peace. As the Father has sent me, now I am what? Sending you. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. And how will I send you? He says it in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And lo, I will be what? With you. I'll be with you. Jesus goes with you wherever you go. He's with you. This is what we have been given. As we see the Savior drawing near to sinners, we too, we draw near to sinners. Friends, I want to tell you just a few stories as we end. Not only does Jesus save in his word, and not only did he save some guy on a plane 12 years ago, but he's saving people right now, right now. I just want to tell you stories of people in our church, and I won't use their names, but I just want you to know of real stories in our church of people being faithful to share. Sometimes people come to faith and sometimes people haven't, but listen to these stories. I'll start out with actually using a name. It's Levi Linville. The rest of them won't have names. Levi shared with me a story that he was out talking to some people about how to engage Muslims with the good news of Jesus, the great gospel of free grace as opposed to only being accepted by what you can do. And as he was talking to people, he, a person said, I know a Muslim that is from Bangladesh but they work at an Indian restaurant because they grew up in a Hindu culture. And so Levi was like, well, what's the name and where's the restaurant? Well, they knew the restaurant's name, but that's it. They didn't know the name of this woman at all. And Levi had no idea how he would be able to tell her apart from the rest of the people in the restaurant. So Levi gets an idea. He says, I'm going to call my friends in Bangladesh because he served there for a few years with his wife, Lexi. And he says, I'm going to actually talk to them in Bangal, which was um, one, the language he knew in Bangladesh, and just see if anybody's ears perk up. So he's walking through and he's talking in Bangal with his friend and all of a sudden this waitress stops and stares at him and says, oh my goodness in her own language. 
He said it literally is translated, oh, the fathers of your fathers, or something like that. But it was like, oh, he says, it's basically, oh my goodness, what's happening? And it was not only a general language, but it was the very language that she grew up in. And he says, it was a miracle of miracles. And they exchanged numbers and were praying that this individual, through an interaction with Levi and Lexi, they've invited her over for a meal. It might result in faith. But I have others. There was a man who's worked at his job for a couple years in this church. And as he was at his job, he shared regularly just his life and began to talk with this guy. And this guy began to ask more questions about religion. They began to talk about it. This guy went through something really hard. And this member of our church came near to him and prayed for him. This guy has now since trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And they are reading books together and then talking and dialoguing over lunch about what it looks like to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Another man at his job, he said it's almost like revival has broken out. There are two or three Bible studies happening because so many people are interested in what he is talking about when he talks about Jesus. And they are reading the Bible together on lunch breaks and before lunch or before work, etc. Because God is at work and God has saved at least one, if not more, in that workplace. There's another woman, a woman in our church who's been having a Bible study with some neighbors that she met while she was just walking around. Got to know them, did kind of a book club, asked them if they would be interested in reading a little bit more from the scriptures. Spent almost two years now reading books about God or reading the Bible itself, three weeks ago a woman trusted in Jesus Christ and said, I trust him and I love him. Her husband doesn't know Jesus and some of the others, they're so close in that Bible study. And this woman said, it is so refreshing to hear this woman talk. She's just asking all kinds of questions, all kinds of questions. And This woman just keeps saying, nothing's off limits, let's just keep talking, let's just keep talking. And she was just like, you know, I wanted to do something at one point, and then I realized, that might not be right to do. And this woman says, do you know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit. She was like, no way, really? That's the Holy Spirit, like, telling me to stay away from this and run towards this? Yes, that's exactly right. There's one community group that was burdened for refugees. They desired to reach out to refugees, and they have just gotten placed with a Syrian refugee that has relocated here to our city, and they are now engaging this Syrian refugee with meeting physical needs, but also engaging them with the gospel, and we're praying that God would save. There are some stories that I hear of people sharing with their family, and many family members now listening for the first time, even after sharing for years, and their family members never listening before. We're praying, and some of you are here Because someone had been changed by the good news of Jesus and they cared enough to talk to you about that good news. And now you're checking things out and you're just trying to figure out if if this whole thing is real, if this is where I need to be. And I want you to know Jesus is coming to you right now. He is at your front door and he is saying, surrender to me everything and I will make you new. Oh friends, he is at work. And I want you to remember these beautiful words. No one's off limits. Jesus goes to anyone. But when he goes, he calls for everything 
not just a part. But when he comes, he comes all the way, not just part of the way. But when he comes all the way, he promises to be with you wherever you go as he uses sinners to reach other sinners to find life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I just ask, oh God, that you would keep working. Some of us might be tempted to say, but that's not my story. It's not working out like that. Oh God, keep us in the game. Keep us from giving up. Keep us from growing weary. Keep us praying. Keep us proclaiming. Keep us reaching out, I pray, oh God. Keep us befriending. Keep us having meals with one another and with people that we meet out and about. Oh God, keep us engaging. Because you are the one that even after we toil all night long, you can cause fish to pop up at any moment. Father, do it. Heal marriages. Father, do it. Heal bodies. Father, do it. Heal hearts. Save people. And the beautiful thing that we've seen here is that you don't just do it in the church. You do it at the workplace because that's where Jesus went. Oh God, help us to be empowered missionaries where we are, that you will use us where we are to proclaim Christ. Oh Father, do a great work. Use us, I pray. Set us free from sin. May we surrender all that you might get glory. And I pray this in Jesus' gracious name. Amen.